The Icarus Complex Written, narrated and edited by Lyndon Cole Episode 6 Christmas was around the corner, and even though I hated my course, I started going again and more regularly, under strict instructions from my new girlfriend. Since Zoe and I became official, things elsewhere were going well for me also, noticeably even better than before. I scored my first goal and the winning goal in a cup game for the football team, and following that, the goal-scoring floodgates opened, cementing me as truly one of the boys. Work was great too. I had been promoted to bar supervisor, and even though this didn't mean more money, the responsibility for me was just what I needed. This did however mean that I would have to work leading up to Christmas, and in particular Christmas Eve, which didn't go down too well at home. It would mark the first year in 18 years I had not been home for Christmas, but in truth, I wasn't that fussed. You see, the money was triple pay, and I would be given the whole of January off paid leave for doing so. It was an offer that seemed too good to turn down, so I took it. But when I also told Zoe the news, she was shocked and disappointed in me too and it resulted in our first ever argument in our one-month relationship. Oh, flippin' hell, man. Why are we still talking about this? I don't need this right now, yeah? Shit happens. I vented at her as I left her house in a huff. It's not even that big a deal, man. Just mind your business, fucking hell. I understood everyone's frustration, but it was a decision that I hadn't taken lightly. There were thousands of other people who chose or had to work over Christmas and not spend it with their families, and I just happened to be one of them. Plus, it wasn't as if I hadn't planned to go back at all. She phoned me later that evening to apologise for interfering. Said she understood that these things happen, and that she had a proposal for me that would ensure I did not spend Christmas Day on my own. She suggested that I spend Christmas Day and an additional three days with her. In Devon, with her in Devon with her family in Devon doing this would mean that I was about to meet the parents and was an offer that I could not turn down even though I so badly wanted to we'd only been together a month and already I was crossing this milestone some people go years before they did what I was about to do 
and I couldn't bring myself to tell her that I wasn't ready to go. I could just imagine what she would have said as well. So you're telling me you'd rather spend it alone than with your girlfriend? What could I have possibly said to that? Nothing. So I didn't give her the chance to pose that question to me and reluctantly took the invitation with both hands. Yeah, I would make the most of it. In the end, we agreed that she was going to pick me up on Christmas Day and then drive me back to Burton on Trent. Four days. That was all it would be. Christmas Eve came, and I worked my last shift at Evolutions before I was due back for New Year's Eve. I had taken to riding a bike home after my night shifts, and although inconvenient and a 30-minute journey, it meant that I didn't have to pay for taxis. As I approached Fishponds Park, less than a mile away from my house, a lady stood by a bus stop, waved me down. I pulled over to see what she wanted, and she kindly asked me if I had a lighter. These times it had been customary for bar staff to carry lighters during work. The indoor smoking ban had not been passed yet, so I gave it to her. A minute or two passed before either of us spoke, and she finally decided to give me back my lighter. Thank you. I then refused her offer of a toke. No, I'm alright, thanks. And then proceeded to get back onto my bike and ride home. When the lady said, So what are you looking for? <laughs> Sorry? I asked back. I said, What are you looking for? She questioned again. I stood there looking at her, perplexed. Unsure what she thought I'd lost. Did I really look as if I was looking for something? I laughed nervously. Okay. Um, really confused. Uh, sorry, I'm not looking for anything. Well, so you know, it's £20 for blowjobs and £40 for full sex. That's my rate. My mouth dropped open and a wave of embarrassment and realisation swept over me. I had been pulled over by none other than a woman of the night. A floozy. A prostitute. And I had been too dumb and naive to realise it sooner. I only wanted to give her a lighter. Giving her anything else was way out of the question. I didn't know what to say to her. And being propositioned like that was the last thing I needed. My mind raced. And all I could think about was being arrested on Christmas Eve for curb crawling and accosting a hooker. And then having to explain to Zoe, when she'd most likely have to pick me up from the police station, what on earth had happened. It was enough to make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. So without further delay, I looked around to see if anyone had seen me speaking to her, to no avail. And then I jumped back onto my bike, gave my apologies for the misunderstanding. Oh. 
Wow, you were being serious. Um, shit. Uh, okay, I'm really sorry. Gotta go. Bye. And rode home as fast as my legs could carry me. Zoe came and picked me up the next day, and we took the car journey to her house. I hadn't seen her prior to then for over a week, so I was more than excited once I'd seen her. I told her what had happened the night before, and she burst out laughing. She didn't once interrogate me, or show she had any suspicions, and I was glad she actually trusted me. The discussion of gifts remained a talking point on the drive to hers, as we'd agreed we would buy each other something small, even though we'd only been going out for a while. Oh, Liam, you know you didn't really have to buy us anything, she said, smiling. I couldn't tell if that was a test, and rather than be embarrassed and turn up at her parents' house empty-handed, I bought her a chemise from the sensor, which, when I think about it now, was really inappropriate. Her dad, a case of Cronenberg's 1664, and her mama potted plants. Not very remarkable gifts, but I was stumped for ideas. Once we pulled up in her drive, and I looked at their massive country house. It was then I realised I was about to spend four days with people that I truly didn't know, in a part of the country that I didn't know even existed. And it was then that I began to panic. Warning. 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 Would her parents be okay with me? Warning. 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 What would happen if they didn't like me? Warning. 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 What if they had a problem with her daughter dating a black guy? Warning. 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 All sorts of questions went through my head. But when I stepped over that threshold into their home, all that panic and worry was for nothing. They absolutely loved me. I have never been so looked after by a bunch of strangers in my life. But to them I was no stranger. I was family. And that was how I was treated. I met everyone. I met her parents, her grandparents on both sides, her sister, her sister's fiancé, two aunts and uncles, four sets of cousins, her dad's cousins, and a few more great uncles and aunts. It was like an invasion, as if they had never seen a black guy before. They asked questions, they looked after me, they hugged me at every possible occasion. We laughed, and we joked, and it was truly remarkable. <laughs> Zoe had also failed to mention their present given family tradition for Christmas Day too. I mean, flipping hell man, the amount of presents. Gosh. But it had to be a sin the amount of presents that were bought for each other. They were morning presents, lunchtime presents, stocking presents, after Christmas dinner presents, and evening presents. The family were on serious present giving overload, and I never knew another family to celebrate Christmas in that way. What made matters worse was that I was not left out of the loop. 
date, the whole family. I had already gone to the trouble of making sure I was not sitting there during present time with nothing to open. Here's a list of the gifts that I received from them. A money belt. A calendar. Four shirts. An A to Z. Some money. Five bottles of beer. A remote controlled car. A book. A belt. Some more money. And in three DVDs. I'd been well and truly spoiled, and by the time the third day arrived, you'd have thought her dad and I were best of friends, the way we mucked around and laughed. It didn't at all concern me that I hadn't spent any time with Zoe whilst I was there, because I was doing the best I could to be respectful of her parents' home. But Zoe started to become really short-tempered and snappy with me, and it was at the family outing in Derby's shopping district when things started to go wrong. Not breaking from normal ritual, Zoe, her mother, and her reluctant dad, as he would constantly tell me, would go to Primark, which in America is basically Walmart or Target, on every sale occasion to get as many good deals as they possibly could. I've shopped in Primark on a fair few occasions, and any student who says they haven't is definitely lying. So I was no stranger to his layout, or as Zoe would call it, Treasureland. One thing that was clear about Zoe was that she was a shopaholic. If she wasn't sleeping, she was shopping. Her obsession for eBay, for example, was frightening enough, but to witness her and her mother tear through Primark like hurricanes was by no means an attractive sight. They would go around once, pick up everything they wanted, try them on, put back what they didn't like or what didn't fit, and then go around again with the same routine. This custom was repeated a further four times before we left the shop, and all her dad and I could do was just sit there and wait, while the two of them bulldozed every other shop we came across. Seriously, no word of a lie, eight hours passed by before the two of them decided they had finished and wanted to return home. Apparently, they were saving themselves for the imminent New Year's Day sales to come and then didn't want to go overboard. When we got back home, I questioned Zoe on what she bought that day to see if there was anything she fancied showing me, just to make conversation. She said there wasn't, but continued to unpack her bags in front of me. She then pulled out a handful of thongs from one of her bags. Ooh, they're nice. I exclaimed. I'd never seen her wear a thong before, so it came as a shock to me that she was even buying them, and even more so because she had insisted there was nothing worthwhile to show me from her treasure trove bags. Oh yeah, those. I bought them for the New Year's party me and the girls are going to. She replied. Oh really? Oh, okay, I see. I told her back. Perfectly reasonable, a normal girl behaviour, I thought. But then it hit me. I wasn't seeing her on New Year's Eve. Uh, sorry. Yeah, but hold on. I quipped. I'm working New Year's Eve. So how am I supposed to see you wearing these? Well, that's just it though, Liam. I'm not seeing you, remember? 
Like you said, you're working. I just want to look nice whenever I go out. You know this. Yeah, okay, Zoe, but... Sorry. You're more concerned with what phone to wear than your actual outfit. Doesn't that strike you as a bit strange? No, not really. So think what you want. I want to look good. That's it. I can do what I want, remember? I laughed. <laughs> what? What? No one ever said you couldn't. You're right, of course you can. But you know what? You want to ask yourself why you're making this grand effort to look good for others when you've got a boyfriend. Yeah? To be honest with you, I thought I was well within my rights to question her about it. I just couldn't understand why she was being so stupid. And at the end of the day, her desire to turn heads and the continued erratic behaviour during my stay should have been the signs I needed that things weren't right between us. To be honest with you, I was blinded by my affection for her and hanging on for dear life. I can admit that much. She was the first girl, well, sort of, that I'd had sex with. And although the last day at hers had become somewhat tense, I said my goodbyes and she took me back to Bristol. Seriously, man, even the journey home was dreary. We didn't talk the whole way. I was still so angry with her. And when we got back to mind, she apologised for her behaviour over the last few days and said that things between us would be fine once she'd got back from the Christmas break. Of course, I believed her. And I worked New Year's Eve and went back to London for a few days like originally planned. Throughout that whole time, though, we didn't speak. No texts, no phone calls. Absolutely nothing. But it wasn't as if I didn't try. She just refused to acknowledge me. A few days turned into over a week and I was still at home, not having heard from her since she dropped me back to Bristol. I then began to worry. Had something happened to her? Was she just really busy? Or was she trying to avoid me? I text her one final time asking her to just let me know that she was okay as it had been ages since I'd heard from her. I finally got back a reply about an hour later. Zoe, seriously, what's going on? I've been messaging you for the last few days and I've heard absolutely nothing from you. Can you at least let me know you're okay, please? Hi, Liam. Happy New Year. I'm fine, though. Thanks for asking. I'm really sorry to do this now, but you didn't leave me much choice or give me the space that I needed. I think we need to end it. We'll talk when I'm back from Devon. Have a good time at home, and sorry again. My world was rocked all over again. What pissed me off more than anything was that I didn't know what her reasons were. I mean, I didn't even know she wanted space. And to make matters worse, she couldn't even wait to tell me in person either. Dumped by text. 
She single-handedly, with that message, ruined the last remaining days I had left at home. My parents knew something was up, but once again I shut myself off and remained moody and grumpy till I left. I dreaded going back to Bristol, purely because it meant I had to face the music. And when I eventually went back, Zoe wasn't due back for another two days. So I sat and stewed in my house waiting for her to reappear so I could get some closure. Or at least an explanation as to why things according to her had gone so badly wrong. I wasn't sleeping. My appetite had diminished. I gave Clive so much shit and spent a lot of time in my room with the curtains drawn in bed before she finally decided to return back. It had been over two weeks since we'd last spoke, other than that text. But rather than bombard her with the need to talk, I gave her the day to settle in before I tried to talk to her. When the evening came and I went to see her, one of her housemates opened the door and then told me that Zoe didn't want to see me at that time. Something inside me snapped. I felt every bit of rage rising and had to get away for a bit and get some fresh air. So I turned around and just kept walking. There was absolutely no way I was going to go back home to sit and do nothing whilst everything hung over my head with the mood I was in. I walked for about 30 minutes before I got a text from Zoe to say that it was too soon for her to talk to or see me and that she would write me a letter explaining everything instead. Yep, it was at that point that I really lost it. I lashed out in an almighty frenzy and kicked the wind mirror off a nearby car. Oh, for fuck's sake, man. Why? Why would she do this? I said. What is wrong with this girl, man? I kicked another. For fuck's sake. And another. Fuck you. And another. Dickhead. I was vandalising other people's cars and had no regard for what might happen if someone came out and saw me. I was just so livid that I wasn't thinking straight. I wanted these people to be as hurt as I was. And as I ran the events of the past month over and over in my head, my conscience dwindled. Seriously, no bullshit. There must have been about 10 cars in that part of Bristol with wind mirrors gone or hanging off. And that is something I'll have to live with. It was a moment of weakness. And having been in the dark and not knowing what was going on, I blew my top in the worst way imaginable. If I could repay those people back for the damage I caused, I would. And I even attempted to do so the following day. But once I told Clive what I'd done, he convinced me not to. Those people would not understand and accept my apology, he told me. So it was better off left alone. I had to deal with it the old-fashioned way crying as if I was grieving for a dead relative the letter came eventually in pink pen which was typical of Zoe she explained that she was sorry that she'd been so cowardly and avoided me 
but didn't know how to tell me she no longer had those feelings for me anymore. She said she felt smothered during my stay at her house and that the relationship I had with her family had frightened her. She then said it was all going too fast. That her and I were in different places priority-wise and that she wanted to remain friends and that if there was anything she could do, yada yada yada. So, it was officially over between us. But I did nothing to convince her that she was making a mistake. Or sad, sure. But I bottled up my upset because I did not want to repeat of the car incident. Bottling up my problems, as cliche as it sounds, does not help at all. But it allowed me to move on past Zoe quicker than I would have expected. I did, however, have no interest in girls for a while after that. She was right. We had rushed things. And deep down, I knew she wasn't right for me. She was too materialistic, too moody, too snappy, too loud. And as much as Zoe had broken my heart, I still missed her for months after that. She and I have never, ever spoken again since. And I kept every single bloody gift though. And I certainly spent that money. Because one thing I'm not is stupid. <laughs>